This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by Vincero Watches. Vincero makes super high quality and stunning watches and by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you from their website, they've been able to save us all a lot of money. I collect watches and I've always loved watches, but ever since I got my Vincero watch, I haven't been able to wear anything else. It stands up to the heat of my kitchen and also looks great after the shift is done. Listeners of Let's Talk About Chef can get 20% off their entire first purchase by using the promo code CHEF, that's C-H-E-F at checkout, when you buy a Ventura watch from VenturaWatches.com. Remember, that's promo code C-H-E-F at checkout from VenturaWatches.com. Before we start this week's episode, I want to say very quickly that if you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. I do take the time to read and respond to everyone, so whether you want to suggest an episode, give a shout out to your restaurant or your favorite restaurant that gets read at the end of the show, or to just say hi, we will always say hi back. 2020 has been a fun year so far for the podcast. And we are really looking forward to keep on bringing you new episodes every week. And thanks to listeners like you telling people about the show, it continues to grow faster and faster than we ever thought possible. And thank you sincerely to all of you for that. That's enough from me. Let's get right into this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. The world is changing. As silly as that statement is, it has been changing forever, but with the advent of the internet and money becoming easier to get, and people working less than they ever have before, it seems to be a lot more different than it was even a decade ago. As the concept of Western food slowly spreads across the globe, the world's taste for fast food grows right along with it. And of all the companies offering cheap and fast meals like McDonald's, Taco Bell, and Burger King, Only one seems to have built such a cult following that it makes the stupid burger clown drool with greed. Only one has created bloodlust and craving for its food. And that's Kentucky Fried Chicken. KFC is what the world craves. The 11 herb and spice fried chicken has people standing in lines, fighting over buckets of poultry, has become a Christmas tradition in Japan, and oddly enough the demand for the kernel in the Gaza Strip where KFC is banned has resulted in a black chicken market. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Somewhere right now in Egypt, a phone is ringing in an empty store next to an Egyptian KFC. The call is answered and the order is taken. The food is paid for next door and put into a cab heading to the border. Driving for miles of sandy roads and usually in the dead of night without headlights, the car drives into nothingness until it's only a few miles away from Gaza. The taxi driver exits the car holding the bags of fried chicken and hands them off to two boys. The chicken, fries, gravy, and apple pies are then headed for a nondescript rock. The boys take one last look around and step behind the rock and open a door hidden by the sand. The door leads to a smuggling tunnel. 
and the boys jog through the tunnel underground clutching the bags and loading them into a cart to push ahead of them into the darkness. Above them, the heavily guarded border patrol have no idea that only a few feet underneath their feet, a tunnel normally used for drugs is filling with the smell of fried chicken. And as the boys near the middle, they meet another taxi driver who takes the chicken, pays them, and then heads back to Gaza. Once he's deep into the city, he opens a hatch and hands the bags to a waiting member of the gang who quickly makes their way outside. And the smiling face of Colonel Sanders that's on the bags gets hidden in two boxes. He'll then now go to people's homes, meet them in alleys, outside their back doors, or wherever they can exchange the food for cash. The whole ordeal takes four hours. By that time, the chicken is cold, the fries are limp, and it costs more than weed, and they can't keep up with the demand. Today on Let's Talk About Chef, we're talking about the KFC Colonel Cartel. understand the Colonel Cartel, we have to understand why it needs to exist. And as much as I would like to pontificate, I truly am not qualified to tell you about the Gaza Strip. So instead, here you go. How did Gaza, a 25-mile-long strip of land on the eastern Mediterranean Sea, become the center of decades-long conflict? Let's begin in the years between World War I and 1948, when Gaza was under British rule. For centuries, the area had been home to a Muslim Arab majority and small Jewish and Christian minorities. But as Jews fled Europe, their population grew sharply here. Mr. Truman, for the first time... The Western world, and U.S. President Harry Truman in particular, backed the idea of finding a home for these displaced Jewish people. In 1947, the United Nations approved a plan to split the region, known as Palestine, into a Jewish and an Arab state. The Palestinian Arabs, backed by neighboring Arab countries, rejected the plan, which gave them less than half the land, despite their population outnumbering Jewish residents. But the leaders of what was to be Israel agreed to the UN plan and moved ahead on their own. On May 14, 1948, the day Britain ended its rule in the region, Israel declared itself a state. The first Arab-Israeli war broke out the next day. Egyptian forces set up a base in the town of Gaza and attempted to drive the Israelis back. For Palestinians, this day is known as the Nakba, the Arabic word for catastrophe and a signifier of a day many were expelled from their homes. After months of fighting, Egypt and Israel drew up the borders of the Gaza Strip, 
which remained mostly under Egyptian control for nearly two decades. In 1967, shortly after its Arab neighbors formed a defense pact, Israel launched a preemptive strike on Egypt, initiating the Six-Day War, and managed to expand its territory dramatically. Israel stationed troops in Gaza and, in defiance of international law, began to build settlements. Until 2005, Israel occupied the Gaza Strip in the same way that it continues to occupy the West Bank. Israel's success invigorated a national Palestinian movement. In 1993, Israel relinquished control of parts of Gaza and the West Bank to a semi-autonomous government, the Palestinian Authority, in an effort to stem violence by Palestinian guerrilla groups like Hamas. It charts a course toward reconciliation between two peoples who have both known the bitterness of exile. But the violence continued. After Hamas won parliamentary elections in 2006, Israel imposed a land, air, and sea blockade on the Strip. Human rights organizations say the blockade has had devastating effects on life in Gaza. <laughs> Meanwhile, Palestinian militants have launched thousands of rockets at Israel. Today, approximately 70% of Gaza's population is made up of Palestinian refugees, most of whom rely on aid. Over half a million live in refugee camps. On May 14, 2018, Ivanka Trump helped inaugurate a new American embassy in Jerusalem. Sixty miles away, Israeli soldiers at the Gaza border killed at least 62 Palestinians during protests demanding the right to return to what is now Israel. Seventy years after the founding of Israel, the deadly violence between Israelis and Palestinians doesn't seem to have an end in sight. Because the Gaza Strip is so controlled, the thought of opening a fast food franchise isn't an option. The area is too militarized and too frightening. Because the desire of those living in the Gaza Strip for Western lifestyles, hundreds and hundreds of tunnels are dug to go under the border. When I say tunnel, I know that you're probably picturing a small cramped hole that you would have to crawl through, but you couldn't be further from the truth. These tunnels have electric lights, they have generators, and some are big enough to drive cars through them, and smugglers do. They drive in and down the paved illegal tunnels, bringing cars, drugs, guns into Gaza directly under the eyes and ears of Israeli forces. In the tunnel's heyday, Rafa, a town on the border of Gaza in Egypt, was the wild west of Palestine, with hundreds of underground passageways snaking under the sand that had up to 50,000 Palestinians employed in both building them and smuggling things through them. You could quite literally, if you lived in Gaza, go to a tunnel operator and hand them a shopping list of stuff you wanted, and within two days it would arrive at your front door. Nearly all of the animals that fill the Gaza South Zoo, including wolves, chimpanzees, hyenas, several ostriches, and even a male lion were brought into the strip through the tunnels. Brides getting married in Gaza would walk through them with their bridesmaids in their dresses so they could attend their own weddings. By 2011, the Israeli forces started to crack down on the tunnels, blowing them up as fast as they could find them, and the trade of being a tunnel operator fell on hard times. Despite the authorities trying to find all of the tunnels, several still exist, and through these tunnels, smugglers are still bringing in computers, iPhones, fashion, guns, and thanks to one 31-year-old entrepreneur named Khalil Ifrangi, fast food. The reason a tunnel had to be used to smuggle in fried chicken is because travel from the Gaza Strip is heavily controlled. 
Passage to Egypt through the Rafah crossing is limited to 800 people a day, and any men between the ages of 16 to 40 have to have special clearance. Traveling through to the Israeli side crossing requires a permit and usually only allowed for medical purposes. Businessmen are also allowed and employees of international organizations. Because the Palestinians locked in Gaza have no real way of leaving, they find things like the concept of fast food enthralling. Something that seems so simple to us, and something that we see everywhere while we drive around and have gotten used to, seems exotic, and for some reason the taste of KFC became something that Gazans were obsessed about, and they wanted it. And if you know anything about black markets, if there is ever a need for something, someone will somehow figure a way to fill it. When KFC opened a franchise just over the Gaza border in 2011, and also one in the West Bank city of Romilia a year later, they filled the television airwaves with commercials of happy people eating KFC while watching soccer games, or sitting on park benches. All while a creepy version of Colonel Sanders prepared chicken batter and smiled and waved you into the new locations. Radios played jingles, and everyone was excited in the free part of the world, all without realizing that radio waves and television signals don't really tend to pay attention to borders. So the sounds and sights of KFC were filling the homes of Gazans. This ad was playing in the homes in the Gaza Strip. A few weeks later when Khalil Afrangi was visiting some friends in Gaza, they asked him to bring some KFC with him when he crossed the border. He did, and when he was left he was flooded with requests for more his phone filled with more and more people begging him for a taste of the fried poultry and coleslaw and double downs, and word spread that someone had brought KFC into Gaza, and for Afrangi, a new business was born. This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by Saks Underwear. Look guys, we need to have an honest conversation about what you're wearing, because if it isn't Saks, then you are missing out on what Forbes magazine and countless others have named as the best underwear ever made. Saks are comfortable, breathable, and support you in such a way that it honestly doesn't feel like you're wearing anything at all. 
A few months ago, I was given the gift of sacks, and I haven't even thought about going back to my generic and random origin boxers or briefs since, and I never will. With Valentine's Day tomorrow, ladies, it is still not too late to give the gift of sacks to your man, and though the gift of underwear can be kind of weird, tell him that you care about what he's got going on. It's 2020. We can talk about underwear without giggling like school kids. And to try out the best underwear ever, go to SaxUnderwear.com to get started. And now, back to the show. Lafrongi began promoting his KFC deliveries on Facebook, charging three times what a bucket of chicken would normally cost. Because he didn't want to confuse potential customers, he limited the orders to just buckets of chicken, coleslaw, and apple pies, and he waited until he had at least 30 orders. This is what happened next. Afrangi would start a process of telephone calls confirming orders anonymously with the clients who would order the food. He then gave instructions and waited to receive the wire transfers from the customers, all who had to pay up front. He then coordinated with contacts in the Hamas government to secure the chicken would make it from Egypt to Gaza. Once the order was placed with the KFC in Egypt and paid for, a taxi driver would pick up the food and drove out to the tunnel. Meanwhile, on the other side of the border, another cab driver would wait to be told by Hamas which tunnel the chicken would be coming out of. Once he was told, he would drive to the entrance of that tunnel and wait for further instructions. After a while, he was brought to an elevator and lowered 30 feet underground, where he would walk 650 feet to the middle of the tunnel, directly in the middle between Gaza and Egypt, where he would be met by the two Egyptian boys pushing the boxes of food on a cart normally used to carry more malicious and dangerous things towards Gaza. He would pay them $16 each, and they would scurry back to the Egyptian entrance. The driver would then turn around and wheel the cart and all of the contraband chicken back to the elevator, where he was brought back up to the surface and he would load the chicken into his cab. He would then drive into the middle of Gaza. Once at a secure location, the food is loaded up onto motorcycles and quickly delivered to the homes of all who ordered it. The whole ordeal can take up to four hours to complete from start to finish. And from the 100 or so orders Afrangi sent to Gaza every three days, he would make around $2,000. Progress is coming to the Gaza Strip. Although this story first broke in 2013, the unrest and conflict in the Gaza Strip continues. The idea that there are 1.9 million people effectively shut off from the outside world brings up a lot of issues. Issues that I am not qualified or even want to pretend I know enough about to try and make sense of. There is a lot of bias. There is a lot of generational hatred here. Now, I may not understand international politics, and I may not comprehend the issues that go back generations of people in that area of the world, and I have never even been there. But I do understand one thing. Food. Food is important. Being able to eat what you want when you want is something that all of us living in the actual free world take for granted. Now, I am not saying that I am about to go out and eat KFC today or tomorrow or ever, and I am not suggesting that you go out and do the same. But, I am suggesting the next time that will probably be today that you get to decide to eat something that you get the option to go get fast food or order a pizza or go to Starbucks or cook at home. 
The next time that you think, oh, I know, let's have Chinese for dinner. Or you go to your favorite restaurant or go to a new restaurant and order whatever you want. Or if you're a chef or cook, be able to pick up a phone and have anything in the world brought to your kitchen door the next day. Just take a second and realize how lucky we all are. There are people today walking through underground tunnels delivering Kentucky fucking fried chicken to the Gaza Strip so that people can try it for the first time. There are people literally risking their lives and freedom for Colonel Sanders. Just take a moment and appreciate that you don't have to. Appreciate that in the world we live in, instead of risking our lives for fried chicken, our social media is filled with arguments about whether or not Popeyes has made a better fried chicken sandwich than KFC. Not wondering if we will ever get to taste one. Just enjoy the next meal. That's all. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. It was written by me and produced by Timothy McDonald. If you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com or you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. I want to give a shout out to the Fraser Cafe in Ottawa and I want to thank listener Monica McKay-Shaw for telling me about it and also that she had one of the best meals ever there. And if you are in Ottawa, you should definitely go there and please say hello from us if you do. We are back next week with another brand new episode of Let's Talk About Chef. And so until then, as always, I'm Brian Clark. Have a great service and have a great week.